you, Hannah, very much. It'd be great if you keep your Bible open. Some of the verses will come up on the screen, uh, but some won't, so it's good to have your Bible in your hands. And for those who are following the listen-up sheets at the ready, if you haven't got one, there'll be a few at the back uh, for you to follow along with as well. Let me pray, uh, and then we'll look at God's Word together. Father in heaven, we need to hear you speak to us now. We thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that you speak to us fully and finally through your words. And Lord, we just pray that you give us ears to hear this morning, that as we listen to you speak, we would grow to know you better and love you more, that you would increase the devotion in our hearts towards Jesus. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, for those who are visiting this morning, or if you haven't been around for the last few weeks, you're joining us for our final stop in our summer series, working through these early chapters of Luke's Gospel, a series that we've called Encounters with Christ. And it comes with a strap line that you can see up there on the screen. When people meet Jesus, and we see this again and again and again in Luke's Gospel, when people meet Jesus, they are changed by Jesus. Not in superficial ways, not just a a slight shift in moral behaviour. We're talking about a complete change of heart, a radical reorientation of our lives around him. As one author said, conversion is not merely crossing a boundary, but submitting to a new reality, orbiting a new sun. It's a lovely picture, isn't it? Before we were Christians, our our lives used to orbit, they used to revolve around other things, maybe ourselves, maybe our family, maybe our work, maybe our, our pursuit of pleasure, our desire for success, whatever it may be. But now as Christians, our life revolves around Jesus Christ. We orbit a new sun. And in this morning's final encounter, we meet a woman whose life now revolves around Jesus Christ. At one time, she was devoted to self, and now she is devoted to Jesus. But before we look at the story itself and what it has to teach us about love and forgiveness, we need to realize that this is not her first encounter with Christ. She's met Jesus before. Don't know where and when, the Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe on the shores of the Sea of Galilee to witness that miraculous catch of fish that we saw in Luke chapter 5. Maybe she was there in the room when the paralyzed man was, was passed down through the hole in the roof right to the feet of Jesus. Maybe she was around at Levi's house for that great banquet when Levi gathered his friends together and explained what it looked like to follow Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Maybe she even knew the widow of Nain. Maybe she was there in the crowd last week to, to witness the raising of this boy from the dead. We don't know where and when she met Jesus. But as we move through this story, it becomes increasingly clear that she has already been forgiven. What we have as before us this morning is not the initial encounter, but the response of someone who has already found forgiveness at his feet. And the setting for what follows is given to us in verse 36 and verse 37. Have a look down if you would. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman 
in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. We're at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And as was customary in those days, when a, when a traveling preacher or someone of significance was present, it wasn't only an invite-only occasion. The doors were opened up for others to come in and listen to the conversation around the table. And so as word gets around that Jesus is in town, people start showing up, and among their number is a woman that we're introduced to in verse 37. A woman who is identified, not by her name, but by her past. She's described as a sinful woman. Now, we don't know the full extent of her sinful life. We don't know how much courage it took her to show up that evening. We don't know how long she was there listening to the conversation around the table before she stepped forward to anoint the feet of Jesus. But what we do know is this. She came equipped. She learned. you see that there in the text? She learned that Jesus is eating at Simon's house and she made an active decision in her mind to go. And she went. And she went with an alabaster jar of perfume, ready and equipped to pour out on the feet of Jesus in worship. And that leads us to our first point of three this morning as we consider these women's actions which are a show of her devotion. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Picture the scene if you would, and it's probably not very like your Sunday afternoon lunch. There wouldn't have been this high table in the middle of the room with these chairs all around it. In those days, they actually ate almost lying down on the floor with a low table, leaning on one elbow like this. They had their other hand free to eat, and their their legs and their feet sort of poked out behind them towards the outside. And then at some point during this meal, this woman who's gathered somewhere around the outside of this room, she's been listening in, and she chooses this moment to move forward. Tears pouring down her face. Enough tears flowed from this woman to wash the feet of Jesus. She kneels before him. She lets down her hair, which in itself would have been a a shameful thing to do in that society. And she washes his feet with her tears, wiping away the dirt with her hair. And she kisses his feet. And she cracks open this jar of perfume and pours it all out in a lavish display of devotion. I mean, this is... This is foot washing of the highest caliber, isn't it? You ever been to the the car wash before? I'm sure you have, and there's those different levels of service. You can get the basic one-star car wash, where it sort of sprinkles your car with water, and those big brushes go over twice and don't really do much. Or you can have the the full Monty, the the five-star deluxe option, all the foam and the the wax and the polish and the big hairdryer comes out. It even gets in between the, the, the wheel hubs and under the arches and all sorts. The deluxe version. But what we have here before us this morning is a five-star foot washing. You see, the tears 
that were pouring down this woman's face aren't tears of sadness or sorrow. She's not mourning like the widow we came across last week. These are tears of joy. These are tears of thankfulness. Tears that are flowing from a heart that is overwhelmed by grace. A heart that understands the worth and the wonder of forgiveness. And if it hadn't have been written then, well, it hadn't been written then, but if it had have been, I'm sure she'd have been singing it. My Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly that I, the guilty one, may go free. And it's that understanding of forgiveness, that the guilt being washed away, that leads this woman to respond as she does in a lavish display of devotion. And as we watch on this morning, 2,000 years later, as we see before us in the Word of God, this lavish display of devotion, the lengths that she went to, to show her affection and adoration and awe of Jesus, it should prompt me and you, should it not, to ask ourselves the question, how do we respond to the grace of God? How do we respond to the outrageous forgiveness that we have received at the cross of Christ? Is there genuine affection in your heart this morning for Jesus? Do you love Him? Do you love Jesus more than anyone else? You see, Simon the Pharisee was a religious man. He did the right things. He turned up in the right places. He read his Bible. He knew how to behave in public. But there was no place in his heart for Jesus. In contrast, the woman knew she was a sinner. But wonderfully, at some point, she had already met her Saviour, and as a, as a result is overflowing with devotion for Him. Oh, that our hearts would be more like the woman and less like His. More like the lady in the story and less like the Pharisee. Firstly, we have the woman's actions which are a show of her great devotion. Secondly, we have Simon's response which shows his blindness to who Jesus is. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, when, when he saw the woman's devotion, when he saw that Jesus was seemingly happy with it, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But of course Jesus knows. The issue isn't with Jesus. The issue is with Simon. Once again, we have a Pharisee who is blind to the mission of Jesus Christ. Remember where we were a few weeks ago? At the banquet round Levi's house. And the Pharisees were there grumbling. Why is Jesus eating and drinking, whining and dining, willing to associate himself with people like that? And do you remember Jesus' response? Chapter 5, verse 31. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. But the sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to call sinners. He came to forgive sinners. And he came to die for sinners. He came for people just like this woman, but Simon can't see it. He's blind to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And sadly, of course, he's not on his own, is he? 
our nation today and indeed even in some of our churches we find people who are blind to who Jesus is. Blinded maybe like Simon by their own self-righteousness. No need for Jesus. My life's okay. I'm fine on my own. I can get by on my own. Others may be blinded by the pleasures of this world and so fail to see the greater treasure and pleasure and glory that is Jesus Christ. Thankfully though, Jesus doesn't leave Simon in the dark. He goes on to explain that forgiveness is for him as well if he would only reach out and take hold of it. And that brings us to our third heading of three this morning. Jesus' explanation, which is focused on forgiveness. Verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And what follows is a parable that Jesus teaches Simon to help him understand why the woman behaves as she does and indeed why Simon behaves as he does. And it's a parable involving three characters. We've got a money lender and we've got two people in debt. One with a big debt and one with a small debt. One who owes 500 denarii and one who owes 50 denarii. But here's the thing. Neither of them can pay him back. You see that, verse 42? Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So what then will the money lender do? What will he do? Option A, will he tell him to work harder to try and pay off a debt that's impossible to pay? Or would he cancel the debts of both? Well, have a look what the Bible says, verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave the debts of both. As it says in the ESV translation, he cancelled the debts of both, wiped away just like that. And then comes the question that brings us to the heart of what's going on this morning. Now, says Jesus, and you can imagine him looking Simon in the eye. Now, Simon, here's the question for you, my friend, which one will love him more? One who had the big debt cancelled or the one who had the small debt cancelled? The 500 sinner or the 50 sinner? Simon replied, suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. I suppose. Of course the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Verse 43, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turns to this woman and says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, do you see her? Do you see what she has done for me? I came to your house, Simon. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, Simon. But this woman, from the time I have entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You, Simon, did not pour oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Her love was great. And your love was small. Why? Because she understands and has, set, has accepted the wonderful joy of forgiveness. Verse 47, do you see it there? Is the great announcement, isn't it? Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
You see, this woman loves much because she has been forgiven much. She knows she's a 500 sinner. She knows how big her debt is before God. And she knows that she can never repay it. But at the same time, she also knows that there is full and final and complete forgiveness at the feet of Jesus as her love as her great act of devotion has shown. You see, we need to get this the right way around. Jesus doesn't forgive because she loves. It's not because her love is great that Jesus says, no, I'll forgive her. No, it's because Jesus' love is great. It's because of his forgiveness that this woman now loves. Forgiveness must come first. And of course, it's no different for us, is it? Our love and our devotion for Jesus do not lead to forgiveness. They flow from it. Our love and devotion are a result of the great forgiveness that Jesus has already pronounced upon our life. As J.C. Ryle says in his commentary, the man whose sins are really cleaned away will always show by his ways that he loves the sinner who cleaned them. If you know your sins have been forgiven, then it will show itself. It will show itself in your love for the Lord and your love for other people. But not so with Simon. No love for Jesus. No warmth. No devotion. No worship. And you can see why at the end of verse 47. He who's been forgiven little loves little. You see, Simon has no real sense of his indebtedness towards God, no real appreciation of sin, no real delight in his Saviour, and therefore no love for Jesus. And here's the deal now, isn't it? Here's the the real knockout punch of this parable. However big or small our debt may be, however immoral or moral our life may have been, we all have a debt that we cannot pay. Whether we realize it or not this morning, we have a debt that we cannot pay unless it has been paid already at the cross of Calvary. That's what we read in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Look at the words there on the screen. When you were dead, cut off from God, unable to do anything in your sin, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, right then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It's at the cross where we find forgiveness. It's at the cross where our debt was paid as Jesus bore our sin in his body on that tree. My sin, not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Now the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 may not have understood fully the means by which forgiveness was coming. This event happened before the cross. She probably didn't understand the dynamics of the atonement and the the transfer of sin and God's wrath averted from me to him. 
She wouldn't have understood the complexities maybe of that, but she understood that she'd been forgiven by Jesus. And because she was forgiven much, she loved much. How much more so should that be with us, my friends? As we look back through history, at the climax of God's saving work at the cross. We know about the cross. We know about the resurrection. We know about His ascension to glory. We know about the coming of the Spirit to indwell the people of God. We know these things. We have the privilege of looking back with greater clarity than this woman who looked forward. How much greater should our love be for Jesus? How much deeper should our devotion be to Him? But you know what, if you're anything like me, this morning there'll be times when you check your own heart, you look down at your own life, the things that you live for, the things that you love, and there's often a distinct lack, sadly, for Jesus. Well, if that is you, then the remedy for us both is actually very simple. We go to the cross again. We marvel at Jesus again. And we rejoice again that the price has been paid in full and the forgiveness that now flows from the death of our Lord. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son. Yielded His life. He gave it up. An atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may Go in. And what is the response of the people of God? Praise the Lord. Devotion, love, a life of worship. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people of Scoria rejoice. O come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. And the more we meditate on these great, great things that God has done, the more readily our hearts will burst with praise and the more like this woman we will be. That our whole life will be laid before the Lord Jesus as a lavish display of devotion towards the one who gave all things for our sake. The final encounter finishes with a blessing in verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in shalom. Go knowing and enjoying that perfect peace and relationship with your Creator. All because Jesus left heaven and came into this world to bring forgiveness. We're going to respond in a moment by singing a couple of songs together, but before we do, maybe just take a moment of quiet in your own heart to consider the forgiveness that comes through the cross of Christ and to consider the orientation of our own hearts towards the Lord Jesus this morning. And then we'll stand to sing in a moment.